Lee in Washington. You're on the air. Go ahead. Hey, Alex Jones. I've been waiting a long time to talk to you. Anyways, I just wanted to say, um, I remember back in the day, uh, Y2K, the Bill Cooper incident, and you smoking to eat me, Joe Rogan. Now you lost your kids, and I'm so happy about that, dude. If I ever seen you in real life, I would smack the shit out of you. I uh, would we'll delay that because we can't have cussing. I've never taken DMT. End of day. The freedom of speech is being taken away. to a brand new life, to a brand new day, all the way from the wastelands of California. My name is Michael, and I am a mere figment of your imagination. I look forward to once again serve you those sounds of salvation. First-time listeners, turn on, tune in, and drop out. This is a different kind of show, a place where we don't feel so alone. Let us chase away the light no matter what you at home choose to believe. I do admire you for your curiosity. Live and direct right now on the TuneIn Radio app. Search End of Days and you'll find the 24-7 network. Go to michaeldeacon.com for your preferred choice of platform to hear the podcast rendition of this program. If the thought of blood makes you queasy, you should probably not listen tonight. We will be exploring the world of vampirism. One of the oldest archetypes, the collective darkness. Oh, yes. My guest tonight is Douglas Robinson. He is the author of the book, The Silently Series Storyline. He describes himself as a Christian man from an early age. He was terrified of his dreams. He seemed to have suffered substantial memory loss or gaps of time, as he describes himself. He believes that vampiric people are real. And they are out there, consuming blood and conducting nefarious activities. My God, how bizarre, right? After the break, we'll be joined by a new soul, Jeffrey Gibson the third, joins me live to talk about his full-on experience with the unexplained. Once again, thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for allowing me into your hearts and into your minds. Here we are again on a night like this. Good morning and good evening to all of you out there. Always an honor and pleasure to be here. Thank you to those here in America and those who listen outside of America for listening to my program. I thank you. For those who are new in attendance, 
let me remind you that this, in fact, is a call-in show, and that number is 760-332-8947. Let's hear those sweet little voices, 760-332-8947. Or add me on Skype, end of days Mike, with the letter Y and not the letter I and Mike. And that's end of days Mike all together now. I'm glad many of you have found your way back. Just last night I was on the air with Mr. Sean David Morton. If you have missed that episode, go to michaeldeacon.com right now, if you're not already there. And you'll find this episode. Oh, yes. Now, let's waste no time and call my guest here. Let's see what's going on with him. Bear with me. And joining me now is my guest. Are you there, sir? Yes, sir. I am here. Awesome. Welcome to the program, Douglas. It's quite an honor to speak to you, finally. Oh, thank you, sir. Awesome. So before we begin, can you walk us through your background? It seems like you have a very mysterious background, Mr. Robinson. Well, I don't know that I would call it all of that. Um, Oh, you wouldn't? Well, you know, uh, I became... I see vampiric people differently, I guess, than most, because the world has been inundated with what a vampire is, according to the movies and TV and other books written. And I just see them as people who have a very serious problem and have a very uh, compelling situation. In 1983, I took my first little fiction writing class. Yes. Where you go off and you write two little short stories and they critique it. And essentially, the second short story I wrote in that writing class in 1983 was essentially the last part of the first novel-length story. After the writing class, about two months, I continued to see it, which turned into eventually a a series of about 16 novel-length stories. The main character is Macon. She is a vampiric girl that was born in the... Um, In 1698, you don't find out in the first story how old she is exactly, but she tells Thomas in the second story, the young man she becomes involved with throughout the storyline. He's exposed to her blood in the second, at the end of the first story, and he's becoming vampiric in the second story. Uh, basically I've had people like this on my heart for most of my life. I've thought about them and prayed about them for such a long time. They just become, uh, real inside my heart, and that's what I see. Yes. So tell us about your background, however, sir. You were well, you grew up in uh, a very religious back uh, in a very religious household, correct? I don't know that it was necessarily religious as I was growing up, just typical suburban uh family. Uh I was adopted, although I didn't know it until my adult years. Uh as a child things never quite you know, with my adoptive family really never quite uh clicked. You know, I was loved. Sure. I was cared for, but you know, little things kept rubbing me the wrong way, like 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 I didn't understand my my father's family or my mother's family very much. And it finally clicked and made sense. Well <laughs> I'm not their biological yeah. son, which is why it right. uh, just didn't make any sense. But essentially, uh, I've had people like this on my heart most of my life. I've had very bad dreams from uh, the age of about seven or eight years old. Can you tell us about uh, those dreams I, a little bit, sir? Well, essentially, 
when I was about seven or eight, I started dreaming of myself dying. It was usually very impersonal and very, you know, like crushed, burned, falling, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Mm. It wasn't until I was graduating from high school, actually, that I said, I am not going to dream this way anymore. And those kind of dreams stopped. Uh, So far as vampiric people are concerned, uh, I really didn't see my first vampire anything. You know, originally we're from Chicago and then moved to Alabama when I was about 13 or so. Right. And I saw the uh, gothic soap opera Dark Shadows for the first time. Mm. And to my recollection, that is the first vampire anything I ever saw that I can recall. But I knew what they were, even even from the early age. And I started disassembling the so-called occultic elements of, you know, undead, sleep in a coffin, uh, no mirror image, et cetera, et cetera. I started disassembling those things because they didn't make sense to me. And what I was left with over the period of years of either praying for them or thinking about them was that you're dealing with a person who has to drink blood to live. Yeah, there's people and like that. Yes, there are, oh, there are many, many different kinds of blood drinkers, including many human blood drinkers. Um, the ones that I call true vampiric ones, though, are those that have gone through what they call the change. Mm-hmm. And they are no longer physically exactly human anymore. Their bodies have changed. They have to drink blood to live, and, you know, they go about surviving as best they can, given their situation. Yes, it seems like there's a lot of vampire cults out there, lots of subcultures. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Many, many more human vampiric, well, let's say human blood drinkers are the kinds who say, okay, I'm going to join this vampiric community because I think being a vampire is cool. You have people that think they're Dracula. You have people that uh, engage in either ritual or ceremonial blood drinking, thinking it's going to give them something. You know, they get something from it. Uh, you have people that just like to hurt people. Uh, and in the second story of the storyline, Rites of Passage, Macon is explaining to Thomas not only what has happened to him, but he's asking questions now. And she's explaining these different things to him in a segment of the story. So it's very illuminating, I think. Yes. And when did you start writing, by the way? I started writing in 1983. And you haven't stopped since, right? Well, after my little fiction writing class where I wrote the two short stories, I started on the book that would later become Silently Comes the Night, the first story. Mm -hmm. It took me three years to write the first draft. Uh, I entered it in a competition of sorts, and I won some editorial help. So with the editorial help, I, I re-edited and reworked silently three more years. So altogether, you know, about six years working on the first one. Yeah, you spent a lot of time. Well, well I, I had to get it. I kept fighting with it, actually. and Really? You know, I finished I finished silently and I wanted to move on to the second one, Rites of Passage, but I just couldn't get it. So I went off and I wrote other things in the interim. Um and then around two thousand and ten I kept being led by the Holy Ghost to pick it up again. 
So in 2010, uh, my heart was to start writing again on this. So I picked up silently, uh, as of 2011, I finished it. Then I picked up and started writing Rites of Passage, which took me about a year. And then again, it took me about a year to edit it, which made the both books available around 2013. It seems like modern culture today has really changed the way the vampire scene. Well, I, I'm hoping to bring some, uh, some degree of compassion to these people, really, because they are uh, now re- remember when I'm talking about vampiric people, I mean the, the ones that have gone through what they call the change and they can't stop drinking blood. You know, it's not like they could turn it off like a light switch or water faucet, they're they're stuck in this condition and they have to continue to drink blood to live. Now, the many human variety of so-called vampire behavior, you know, these people are not physically compelled to do what they do. They just want to. So there's a different class there that, uh, you know, you have to distinguish between one and the other. Yes, there's different subcategories. There's some people that are... I guess you could say they're in the quote-unquote gothic type scene, and it, it seems like those people are more in it for the party life, uh, that that sort of atmosphere. And then there are those out there who you speak of who are in it for different reasons. I would really hope, uh, you know, I, from the moment I saw Macon originally, and I can't really say exactly how long I had felt and seen her, but she really is a remarkable girl in her own right, I mean, aside from the story. At the time the story takes place, it's set in 1993. There is a conspicuous lack of things like cellular phones and Internet. Right. Uh, The story takes place from 1993 and ends about 1999. There are four historical stories in the storyline, beginning with Macon's story and uh, her situation around the 1700s and other characters that, that came up from the mid-1650s forward. So there's a historical part of the storyline that starts uh, with her life and uh, brings us into the modern day. Uh, but the modern day part of the storyline begins with her relationship with this young man that she meets in the first story, and Thomas falls in love with her, but he doesn't know what she really is. And needless to say, in the first story, he finds out. Are are these real characters, by the way? I feel that they are. I mean, in my heart and mind, I see them as real, which uh, I guess puts me over the edge a little bit. I see. And have you ever experienced these vampiric people yourself? Uh. In all honesty, I've only seen about four of them, really. Like I saw one at Walmart once. Um, but like I say, I don't, I don't, um, I don't promote myself as somebody who just goes out and, and hunts them because, uh, they're hunted enough as it is, really. It's a very interesting but, story, by the way. I was. Oh, well, thank you. Yes, I was reading some of your book. Yes, I haven't read all of it, by the way, but. I, I do want to ask you, however, it seems like this subject is very troubling for you to speak about, sir. I wouldn't say troubling. I'd just say that 
uh, you feel a little nervous? It's very close to my heart. It, no, no, a little anxious. It seems like it's a, like I said, a little troublesome for you. I wouldn't really use the word troublesome. I'd say it's just basically close to my heart and something I think about a lot. But why? But, uh, why exactly is this so close to your heart? I guess their situation uh, struck me as, you know, nobody wanted them, nobody loved them, nobody thought to uh, take them in. And when I was about, say, 13 years old, I think, I prayed to the Lord at that time, give them to me, I'll take them. It's the same kind of response and compassion like when you see a homeless person and they're right. hungry or or you see an unwed mother that has no place to go. You, your heart reaches out to someone in a situation. And in my particular case, uh, my heart just went out to their situation, and I was uh, doing everything that I could to uh, reach for them from that point forward. Oh, my. So you really do care about these people? Yes, I do. Can these people change at all, or are they stuck in this well, path? those people that have gone through physically what they call the change, it's a one-way street. Um, in the third story, which has not yet been written, Macon is uh, essentially captured by this group of doctors, and it goes into more uh, medical how they are because her internist, Dr. Benjamin, is you know, he, he's puzzled by her case. He finally gets the notion that she has to drink blood to live. He's trying different things like giving her transfusions, but that just causes her problems. He eventually figures out that she has to drink fresh blood, and they have to acquire it for her since they've captured her. And uh, like I say, the process that works in her body to for her to be able to consume blood it's totally different from uh, anything that we have as normal digestion. So you do see clearly that they are not quite human anymore. Yeah, it seems like people want to go out and be like these people. Like I said, there's various vampire cults. And when, oh, pe yes. yeah, when people start getting involved with blood and uh, transmitting uh, blood here and there, that could lead to all sorts of bad things. Well, uh, as I believe it in a Christian point of view, you know, God, the devil, and all of this, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Ghost, I think, you know, my point of view in life is all of that's real. And the devil is going to screw up people any way he can. And, and getting someone to emulate what they think a vampire is, whether they go at it through the Gothic side or they just you know, drink blood or yeah. all of these things, mm -hmm. you know, he, he his goal is to screw up humanity and destroy us anyway. And, of course, you heard of psychic vampires. I feel like most of us already kind of are psychic vampires. Well, my understanding of what they call a psychic vampire is essentially a physical manifestation of a religious spirit. Mm -hmm. uh, a religious spirit uh, will suck the life out of anything just to keep itself alive. Right. Okay. I see. Yeah, that, that's another another good understanding of psychic vampirism. But, yeah, it kind of seems like we, we know quite a few of those characters in our lives. It seems like there's maybe what most people we know probably drain us of our energy some some way or another. Douglas? Well, the the way to handle that, uh, you know, any 
You know, I've I've spoken to different people that have objects in their house that cause them problems and, uh, you know, different people, as you say, that drain energy and so forth. Right. Uh, any Pentecostal church, you know, if you if you're in a situation and you feel like you're being overwhelmed by something or someone, find a Pentecostal church that you're comfortable with. It may be billed as like an independent church, but they're Pentecostal under the hood anyway. The manifestations in the church would include manifestations of the Holy Ghost, like speaking in tongues, words of prophecy, words of wisdom. But it will always be in order because it won't ever be like wild. It will always be orderly and mm -hmm. uh, respectful of people. But like I say, if you're in a situation uh, by someone or something, then I would recommend uh, turning to the Lord, uh, finding a church where you're comfortable, and seeking them to pray a hedge around you. And they can do it. By the way, I'm curious. You've seen, I, I think you've seen various vampire films throughout the years, correct? Well, actually, since 1983 or so, since the, the storyline is in my heart, I've, I've avoided oh, okay. any, any of the – I don't want those ideas in my head. Oh, no. So, yes. like, I haven't really seen – I mean, I know that these shows exist, but I really haven't seen any of them. or, And I don't go out of my way to read those books or those stories until I finish my storyline, then we'll, then we'll see. But – uh, I'm avoiding the rest of that because I want my ideas and my storyline to not mm. be interrupted by what somebody else thinks. I see. So you've never seen the movie Dracula? Well, I know of the movie. I've seen it a few times because I did see some things before, you know, 1983. Um, so far as vampire books, I've read uh, Anne Rice's first book, I think. Uh, there was another one, rather interesting one, put out by Jan Jennings. Uh, by the way, in my story, I spell vampire, vampiric, B-A-M-P-Y-R. Mm -hmm. Yes. Because I want a different take on it than, say, than what you quote vampire normally thinks like. Yeah, I don't blame So you. I used an alternate spelling. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the real Dracula, by the way, was a very evil man. Yes, historically. Mm-hmm. He was very evil indeed. Quite a gruesome story. We could basically do a whole show on Vlad the Impaler, but that's a different time and place for all of that. So I'm curious, do you not watch any movies or television, anything of that nature? Oh, uh, not related to vampire or anything. I don't, I really avoid you that. You avoid that, yes. What 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 else are you uh, into then, Douglas? Now I'm really curious. Well, like uh, I'm really excited about uh, the stuff that comes out from Marvel or DC. Okay. Uh, comic books. Um, let's see, seri mostly series of anything. Uh, since all of my stories are generally a series, I'm really right captivated by the idea of what makes a series work, what makes a story work. You know, I, I'm i glad that uh, – well, I'm sorry to cut you off. I'm, I'm so rude. However, you – No, you're not. You basically got this whole concept in my head right now that I've been talking about with various guests now when we talk about film. And you brought up 
the the very popular franchise of superhero films and it makes me think why on earth are are we still watching old renditions of, of film for i know they make so much money but we have so many great minds out there yet we can't come up with anything original it, it's kind of odd uh, i think it's uh there's a scripture that says there is the effect of every vision and so these things have been uh growing in comic book form for so years for so many years now the the effect of every vision is to just bring it into real life i could see that yeah i guess it's not always completely the same however i just think films like star wars have been butchered completely i do remember seeing some of them way back when but i'm not i didn't really see a lot of the star wars stuff coming up i don't i didn't see any of the current ones so I guess I'm behind on that a little bit. That's okay. Uh, another topic here I discuss uh usually on the program is the paranormal and extraterrestrials. What exactly is your opinion on the paranormal and UFOs? Well, in my specific case, my story is classified as paranormal fiction because uh, they are not exactly human. Right. And so from that point of view, the paranormal is paranormal. Uh, so far as extraterrestrials, I, ha I don't really know. A lot of people say they have seen UFOs and they have seen certainly something. And who mm -hmm. knows whether the universe is quite so big that, that we're the only ones here. But, you know, since I also believe in God, there's still God above all of that. Do you believe in, I guess you can say, do you believe in Bigfoot? Uh, it's possible. You know, I, I'm kind of sidestepping from the whole Bigfoot phenomenon as well as the Loch Ness Monster. There are a lot of, you know, when, when our world was created, um, you know, the, my take on how the world got here was, oh, that, yes. Uh, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the way that I understand how the earth got here is that Originally, God created it. There was a angelic being of that time called Lucifer, right? Uh, which was like uh, the worship leader in heaven, and he was anointed and placed on the earth to prepare it for the man because because he saw, according to the scripture, it said he could walk up and down in the stones of fire. That means he could read scripture and gain revelation from it. Well, when Lucifer saw in his revelation of the that there was a man coming, he didn't know that there would ever be a being between him and God, and he got jealous. Mm, yes. And so being a jealous type being, he wrecked the earth. He drew one-third of the angels with him into rebellion, and that's what they call the, the flood of Lucifer before there was a man because the earth was literally uh, turned into a wasteland and flooded the first time. Uh, when God, what you read essentially from Genesis chapter 1, verse 2 forward, is essentially the recreation of the earth in seven days or six days. And, you know, the earth is covered with water. And, uh, you know, the what, what we're reading about in Genesis is, is essentially the recreation of the earth as mm -hmm. I see it. Let me ask you this now, Douglas. A couple of shows, yes, a couple of shows back, 
I brought in a gentleman who is a flat earther. He firmly believes the earth is flat. Are you under the same notion, Douglas? Interestingly enough, there's a scripture that in Job, I believe, that uh-huh. says the earth hangs on nothing. So for accuracy of things, you know, the old-time uh, drawings of these people, you know, the earth was held up by a great man or a serpent or, right. a, you know, all these different things were holding the earth up. But only the scripture says that the earth hangs on nothing. And it would have to be round, uh, spherical. I don't think the earth is flat. I'm with you on that one. Now, here on this program, I talk a lot about end times, and many believe the end times are near. What is your opinion on that, sir? Do you think, do you think we are in the end of days? Yes. Now, let me explain what that means. Okay. Um, Go ahead. According to the Christian view, and the Lord Jesus Christ is the Savior. When he died on the cross, he rose again after the third day, and we have life through his blood as our atonement to have a relationship with God. And since he left, he is also returning. What they call the end of the age is, um, he said that you would know the end by the amount of trouble mm, the that's signs, coming, yes. the, uh, Yes, the the wars, rumors of wars, and all these things. We re- we already got the Middle East chaos going on. Yes, that's one. And um, but like I say, the the way that people believe in this, that essentially we're in the church age now. But a, but at one point, the church is going to be called away in what they call the rapture. That is, all the Christians mm-hmm. and children and babies, because they're under the age of accountability, they'll all disappear. And what you'll be left with on earth who will come to power after that is what a person called the man of sin who will be the Antichrist and his false prophet, and these things are spelled out in Revelation. So essentially we're in uh, the chapter 2 and chapter 3 of Revelation, and I believe after the end of chapter 3, that that specifies the church calling away, and then it will be time for Israel to re-rise like it was in the Old Testament with prophets and so forth. Mm-hmm. God will always have a witness on the earth. Israel's... But after the church age, mm-hmm. there will be a tribulation of, say, seven years. Right. And then Satan will be loosed for a season. There will be a great war called Armageddon, and then... All the forces that oppose, that are fighting against God at that time, Satan will be cast into the lake of fire, and then Jesus will return for his millennial reign, which will be a thousand years, I believe. It's wild stuff, really. So it's coming up. Yeah, you know, it's wild Sir? stuff. We're seeing Israel's re-emergency, uh, reemergence now. Well, they're going to be on top. You know, it, it doesn't matter who else jumps on them. Uh, they are God's people, and their covenant still holds Yes, wild stuff. Um, I'm sure you've been paying attention to what's been going ro- uh, going on around the the world here. Or w- what's your take on on all these events going on, Douglas? Um, especially with well, I, the, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, sir. Go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say, especially with with countries like North Korea and Iran and these various other countries out there who are causing a bit of commotion. I believe that. Um, 
Zephaniah chapter 1. Zephaniah is a prophet in the Old Testament. Uh, The Lord gave me two scriptures originally to explain, well, to give me a context of vampiric people. The first one is in Joel 2 verse 2. It talks about a day of darkness, uh, gloominess, clouds, and thick darkness. Specifically, those four aspects, I believe that explains the vampiric expression in the earth. He also gave me Joel chapter 3, verse 14, which talks about multitudes, multitudes. The day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. Uh, between those two scriptures and prayer and thinking about them, it gives me a lot of um, insight. But where the scripture mentions that day of darkness, Mm -hmm. gloominess, clouds, and thick darkness also occurs in Zephaniah. In Zephaniah, to explain this, uh, when you see something in the Old Testament uh, rendered by the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that doesn't mean personal God. You know, when you go to church today, they teach you Mm -hmm. about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. But when you're reading about the Lord in the Old Testament, you're seeing what is essentially um, the part of God that powers the system of seed time and harvest. Like uh, I go out to my backyard and I throw corn seed out my back door. What's going to happen eventually? Supposedly, I'll get corn. Yes. If I go to my back door and I throw tomato seed all over the place, what's going to happen? Allegedly, you'll... The ground, tomatoes. Mm -hmm. The ground only knows to produce what seed is sown in it. So, uh, to explain these things between the Old Testament versus the New Testament, when you're seeing things in the Old Testament, uh, the aspect of God called Yahweh or Jehovah or rendered in the King James Version as capital L-O-R-D or capital G-O-D, Somebody is being rendered a harvest that they sowed for, like Job, for instance. Yes. Uh, but essentially what you're reading in Zephaniah 1 is a, is a harvest. Like you have people that are deceitful with money. Oh, yes. Well, there's going to be a harvest for that. You have people that essentially steal from other people, you know, by deceit and by fraud. There's a harvest for that. But in a time of wasteness and desolation, uh, the way that I read Zephaniah 1, um, in that time of rage and desolation and trouble and distress, then there's that little part of that scripture that talks about darkness, gloominess, clouds, and thick darkness. Then after that, in Zephaniah 1, it talks about trumpet, yeah, alarm, I was just about people asking staggering you. around mm-hmm. like they're blind. And then blood poured out like dust. Yes. I the was... point that I'm trying to make is that eventually people will figure out that my children really do exist. Understood, yes. And when they do, they'll want to kill them. And when they try to kill them, it will be a bad thing. My goodness, yes. I was just about to ask you about the seven plagues and the seven trumpets. Well, all of those are spelled out in Revelations and essentially... Uh, the, the plagues and the trumpets are, are, are harvests that are coming to the world, um, you know, that has been sown for over a very, very long period of time. Are, are we going to see this in our and, lifetime, Douglas? I think so. Now, people will say that, you know, they, they, they talk like the, 
the end is right today. Mm-hmm. I don't know that it is necessarily today because I believe the church age especially will have at least one more great revival and opportunity for people to come to the Lord. So I think that's coming. But like I say, the prophetic clock is, is keeps ticking and, uh, I don't want to frighten people, but I don't want to lull you into sense of thinking that this is going to be years and years off. I don't think it's going to be that long. Yeah, I think this is valid information, and that brings me to the Antichrist. And we definitely will see the Antichrist, correct? Uh, The people that are left here will. That is after the rapture. rapture, Yes, the rapture. Yeah, that's really terrible. Uh, As I understand it, he will rise as a political power. Uh, probably in Europe. Uh, he is already here on the earth, meaning he is here and he knows who he is. We don't know who he is yet because he has not yet been revealed, but he's already here and he knows it. So, uh, you know, he will, he will assume power, uh, as it's described. And interestingly enough, uh, the mark, uh, would be a good idea not to take that. Uh, because once you do, you're doomed at that point. My goodness. Now, I, I do want to ask you, uh, just to quickly change subjects really quickly. Well, not too much, but do you have another book in the works, Douglas? Now I'm curious. Uh, the next three of the storyline, the first two, Silently Comes the Night. The second one, Rites of Passage. The third one is With Deadly Intent. The fourth one is Overkill, and the fifth one, which is essentially the first historical story, is called Macon Story. Those three stories are in the works. What makes you think? But they're not. But they're not. But they're mm-hmm. not done yet. Oh, they're not done yet. Nope. Very interesting. Yes, I, I was going to ask you a different question, but now I, I do want to go back in time with you quickly here. Once Certainly. again, yeah, going back into your. Adolescence, I'm just curious, were you, um, were you a bit of a lone wolf growing up? I guess I would be very lonely, yes. Oh, okay. Well, I don't exactly blame you for that. See, at a very young age, Douglas, I came to a strange realization that I was not like most of the other kids out there, and that very feeling that I felt back Many, many moons ago when I was probably in seventh grade, that feeling then has not changed till today. I've always felt that way. So I know what you mean, Douglas. You're not alone in that regard. Well, thank you. You're very kind. Thank you, sir. And perceptive. Oh, yes. I I agree. I agree great. I I agree tremendously. Now, Douglas, are, are there any other subjects that you would want to write about? Or is this the final, uh, the final game for oh you? Oh no, no, no. I have a, uh, in the, in the years between the first story and the second one, I wrote a ranger story that takes place in the future. Uh, one of the other things that I had when I was in Chicago, my father took me to a Cubs baseball game and I might not remember the game, but during the uh, halftime or whatever they have in the middle of it, uh, you probably remember these James Bond movies where this guy flew an actual jet pack. Oh, yes. You know, you strap this thing to your back and then you're flying. Well, during the part of this baseball game, there was the guy that actually flies that jet pack and he flew 
that jetpack around the auditorium, and that stuck in my mind also. So my ranger story takes place in the uh, future, uh, about the 2150s, I think. The, there are rangers at this wilderness ranger base, uh, including uh, James and his wife, Belinda. He is a pack ranger, and she's a communications expert at this base. Essentially, the rangers there in that era uh, fly around in these vast wilderness areas to, to manage it. Yes. Uh, but there's something very seriously wrong at this ranger base. Mm. Um, so that that is my other um, writing interest. Very nice. Uh, that That also grew into a series, or will. You know, earlier when I was describing you to the audience here, I said that you had suffered some substantial memory loss or gaps of time. Can we go into that? Why, why exactly did you have these strange gaps of time missing, Douglas? Uh, it was so hard uh, coming up um, that uh, I think the memory loss was just part of a, a consequence of how hard it was. Um, I had a couple of people talk to me and say that if I'd gone through what you'd gone through, I'd be dead. My goodness. So I'm just thankful. I'm just thankful that I survived and that I'm alive. And Douglas, I, I got to stop you there. Tell, tell us what happened to you. Nothing. I mean, I mean, you survived. So what, far as what, having a normal child, I wasn't abused what? or anything. I don't yeah. want to certainly give that idea. Uh, okay. Well, I thought something like that might have happened to you. No, it was just bad on the inside. Um, mm. You know, like I say, those dreams and nightmares I had, and I was a quiet shy kind of person anyway do you think you you might have uh, been D douglas do you think you might have been tormented by some sort of entity of sorts yes i uh it wasn't until 2010 that i was with a friend of mine uh -huh. and there was a demonic spirit in my head and it started manifesting this was in october of 2010 and my friend being the lovely pentecostal person he was cast it out Kabam, it's gone, just like that. Uh, my mind immediately cleared. Um, my free sale game greatly improved, strangely enough. Uh, things became brighter and easier, and I could think again, where before it's like I was under a, a very heavy, heavy, heavy blanket. Mm, would you say kind of like, Since a, I, like a fog, would you say? Well, yes, mm, uh, but like... That demonic spirit, you know, as I think back on my life and growing up, uh, that demonic spirit started manifesting when I was seven or eight. And, you know, back in that day, the only thing we had on TV was Bewitched, and it was still black and white. Right. So nothing nothing to, to put a demonic spirit inside the head of a little kid, especially in that day, so the burning question is, where did I get it? Yeah, that's true. And I think I know. Mm. But that's, a, <laughs> oh my that's a story for another day. My God. I think there's more, I think there's more to my upbringing than, uh, than I knew, especially my early year. That's exactly what I'm talking about, Douglas. There, there's something there. I feel like perhaps, yes, there is. you know, I feel like perhaps you should get some sort of, uh, hypnotherapist. And and have one of those sessions and get that recorded. 
Oh, I've, I've prayed and I know what happened, basically. Uh, you know, the Lord showed me that and hypnosis is largely, there's a demonic spirit that does that. So mm. I couldn't be hypnotized anyway, uh, oh because goodness. there's a demonic spirit that does that. Uh, but I've already talked to the Lord about it and the okay. Holy Ghost has shown me some things regarding my biological mother and what happened to her and what happened to me. What happened to your mother, Douglas? She died. Oh, no. They killed her. She was murdered? Yep, think so. Oh, no. Douglas, by who? Well, long story, and I don't know that I could go into it quite in this forum because none of that's been... Remember, it's just me praying and looking back and seeing it, but I know she's not alive now, and I know she didn't survive very long past my birth. Well, I'm sure she loved you very much. I'm sure she did. Yeah. Uh, what, what about your father? Uh, have no information at all. Just completely emptiness. Correct? Yeah, I think that, uh, sir. I, I said no answer, right? Just, just blank. No idea. I, I, I have a few hunches and that's all. Wow, I see. Like I say, uh, my mother, uh, for whatever her reason was, didn't want me to know that I was adopted. But toward the end of my mother's life, say around 2004, yes, she began exhibiting symptoms of Alzheimer's. Oh, um, no. She was, you know, remember I was adopted by an older family, so they were older than my natural parents would have been. Hmm. Although I didn't think of that, I thought of them. I thought they were my biological parents all these years. Yeah, you thought they were. Yeah. So my mother is going through the stage of Alzheimer's and I'm about to take her to an assisted living home and I'm with her over the weekend. And then that weekend I was the other Douglas. And so she basically told me about like when I was 13 months old, a man came to their house and said, I have a child for you. And so when they went to the little hospital where I was, they saw me in the little room my mother was uncertain, but my father said, we'll take him. I said, go, Dad. Wow. So I was about 13 months old. Uh, the only birth certificate I have is a delayed certificate of birth. So whatever my thir- first 13 months are is not really known. Uh, so that to say, there's a, a lot of stuff that happened, I think. Yeah. Understood. But like I say, I, I prayed about this and I saw some things, especially around 2004. So I think I know a general idea who my mother was and a general idea what my father was and uh, what happened to my mother and how I ended up in a little hospital room 13 months later. Mm, I see. But like I say, uh, after my parents adopted me, they started moving. Because originally, um, I was born in Chicago and they got me in Chicago. But next thing I know, I'm in every different state of the nation. I'm in Mississippi. I'm in Tennessee. I'm in Seattle, Washington. I'm somewhere else. And they started moving. Mm. And I think they had to move for my sake. I see. By the way, Douglas, do you ever have dreams of your mother? I saw um, four visions of her in 2004. Uh, First of all, I think she's Russian. Russian? And uh, Yes. Uh, 
there are two places in the United States a person from Russia could fly directly here. One of them is New York. The other one is Chicago. My theory is that she was a Russian exchange student about that time. I see. Because I saw, uh, yeah, this is not really part of the storyline. This is just my life. But of course, uh, this is this I is a very her, important. Yes, I saw what looked like a grainy newspaper photograph, and there were four girls, and my mother was the third one. Uh, you know, from uh, left to right, so she was the third one in line. And I saw another photograph of her visibly pregnant. And then I saw another image of an older man. He has white hair, and he's living in this little cottage. And it looks to be, it feels like Germany, although I can't say exactly that that's where it was. And he's got this box open. It's a grayish-green box with ropes around it, and it's got a stenciled number on it. And he's opening that box, and in that box are papers, and those papers have something to do with me. And then next thing I know, uh, it's nighttime, and his whole cottage blows up, it's presumably with him and the documents in it. You know, Douglas, you could write about your own life. Hey, sounds interesting. Yeah, I have to agree. No argument there. Douglas, uh, another issue here I, I did want to get into with you here was exorcisms it, it seems like they're increasing well like i say there was a demonic spirit in my head and like in uh you know especially a pentecostal church uh i'm not sure why the catholic church does what they do but any any person with authority and the holy ghost could cast a demonic spirit out without all the other uh stuff that that the movies have characterized an exorcism to be, like I say, when the friend caused my demonic spirit out, it was quick and easy and not all that stuff. Yes. seems like the Catholic Church has been taking heat for many, many years. They've been involved in well, that, strange activities. I mean, they're, they're blessed and loving people, but I don't know that their revelation on this is really what it needs to be. I agree. Yes, certainly. It's very fascinating, however, when someone becomes perfectly possessed and then they start speaking strange languages. Well, you know, in the in the power of the Holy Ghost, we have the ability to speak in tongues and pray in tongues and pray in the Spirit and understand these things and also interpretation. So the devil will, the devil will go out there and mimic stuff, and if you know, there are people that try to infiltrate churches, I understand it, and if they pray through a demonic power instead of the Holy Ghost, generally the leadership of the church will know it and handle the problem. What's your opinion on Scientology? Uh, it's like a cult. I think so, too. Yes. Like I say, uh, if, if Jesus, the Lord himself, is not... Um, the way, the truth, and the life, then I don't think that it's the way uh, for people to choose. Of course, people have the right to choose whatever they want to choose, and they do that. Right. But uh, like I say, I still believe to what Jesus said. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. Now, I, I do want to thank you for being a part of the program here, sir. We are going to wrap oh. up. Yes, we're going to wrap up here shortly, but 
I do want to leave you with the final word. Is there any words of advice you can give out to those out there listening, perhaps those who don't believe in anything? The first thing that I would say for those people that are in such a dark place that they can't even know, lift their head up is that God really does love you. And the thing with people is that they, no one is going to believe in a God that they can't see unless they see love and caring from the people that they can see. This is why the uh, testimony of the church and people that are in the church is so important. Your love walk and your life out in the world is the light that people will see. So I would I would encourage the people that say they have a relationship with God to just go out and love every day. Uh, I made the decision to love a long time ago. Uh, it was a choice, and I'm not perfect. I have my whole list of problems. I have a whole list of issues like anybody else. But like I say, that I think between this age and the next, it's really going to point out, boil down to how much you love and how much you show it. And I would give anybody, even a vampiric person, a chance because everybody deserves a chance. And I agree. Go ahead and uh, plug the website. And, yes. Okay. For, uh, it is HTTPS because it is a secured website. It is silently, S-I-L-E-N-T-L-Y, dash publishing dot com. Very nice. I want to thank you once again for being a part of the program, and I hope to speak to you again in the near future, Douglas. Oh, thank you, sir, for having me. Yes, we'll touch base again very soon. I hope you have a good night and take care, and and I hope you get some good sleep. Thank you, sir. I will. All right. Good night, sir. Good night. My goodness, and that was my guest, Mr. Douglas Robinson. Did you enjoy that? Very fun, right? Time to go on a little break. Hopefully, when we return, I have found my guest, and we're both ready to go for round two here. Don't go anywhere, folks. The whole world's coming to an end, Mal. I see angels, Mickey. They're coming down for us from heaven. And I see you. And welcome back to the program. Joining me now is my second guest. Let's see what's going on with him, Mr. Jeffrey Gibson. Jeffrey, are you alive? I am, sir. Awesome. What's going on? Uh, nothing much. Just uh, getting settled right now. Perfect. Yeah, you you yep. were on a little move the last time I talked to you, right? Um, I'm sorry. What was that? I said you were on the move the last time I talked to you. Oh, yes. I'm a... Uh moving to North Dakota currently. Sorry, it's a little staticky. It's okay. Or some sort of frequency. Mm-hmm. That's expected. <laughs> yeah. I'm, That's all right. Uh, I'm running you through a yeah. mixer here. Yeah. Technology is never on our side on this program. That's what I've learned. You know, everything messes up. But you, you gotta, know, you I could probably phone. step outside because, you know, my grandma's house is made out of flipping aluminum. <laughs> <laughs> so... It's, it's one of those old ones. Yes. Houses. Right. So tell us about yourself, Jeffrey. What exactly happened? Did you see something in the sky? What was it? Uh, all right. So I guess we'll just get right into it then. Let's, huh? let's jump right into this. Yes. Well, all right. So basically what I saw, really important.
important because I feel the mind tends to play tricks on you. Sure. And I'm very coherent of this. Uh, I also notice, uh, let me just start off. I also notice with my past, uh, memories, I tend to manipulate little things, tend to, you know, trick the story a little bit in my favor or something. Yeah. You know, I, I, I'm sure that everybody does it. It's a phenomenon that we all do, <laughs> uh, consciously or subconsciously to be corrected. Uh, but what transpired w- was so real to me, uh, that I haven't really gotten like a full, like sleep, a night's sleep since. Really? I feel like, yes, I feel like my mind is like constantly on edge. Uh, I mean, I'm going through a hard time in my life, so it's, it's, it's expected, but just I'm not focused on the problems on this world currently. It's more or less the problems like of the world. Why, why is there like an issue with how everything works? What transpires are current day to day actions? Like, oh, it's so mind boggling. And honestly, ever since that day, I feel like I couldn't skip a day without learning something. So I constantly have found myself, I don't want to say more intelligent, but more enveloped in knowledge. Yeah. Uh, let me go ahead and say that this happened about a year and a half ago. Um, I was, waiting for my girlfriend uh on my neighborhood street and there's like this little wall on the sidewalk it's like the wall touches the sidewalk it's like a little wall you could sit on i'm just sitting there texting you know it's really dark um the street lights are blown out uh, on this side apparently um because it's it's always dark there i just assume that the street lights are are out i can't remember currently but all i know it was like you know waking up from a dream almost um, it, it was such an odd experience and I want to make it clear that it was more or less an experience because I can't explain it in any physical form, but I know something did take place. Uh, I guess the first thing that I noticed, uh, when I came to, when, when I was conscious at least, uh, was like a very vivid backdrop of the earth, uh, spinning almost. Now, mind you, I, I don't remember uh, any part of my body flailing in the air or anything like that. If I was falling or, or any, I, I seem to be fixed in the position, uh, almost staring at the earth and just sheer emptiness in the background behind the earth. And I want to make this clear that the sheer void uh, of the height and the, the depth of space is, is really, it, it really made my nerve shocked. Uh, I think that's the biggest thing that affected me. It wasn't the, what was said because there wasn't really any vocalization. It was more or less like a, an understanding, like some sort of communication in, in some way. Uh, I do know what they said to me. Um, I'll hold off right there just cause there's a lot to the story. I'll, I'll ask you if you have any questions so far, <laughs> cause yeah. I know there's like different let, pieces that yeah, let's clarify. Know, I, I know you want to get back to and I'll let you do that now. Yeah. Let's clarify exactly where you are. Where am I currently? Yes. Oh, I'm at my, uh, my grandmother in no, the no, no. house right now. No, I meant. Uh, helping them out. <laughs> no, I meant. Before I. R- no, I meant. What, what state are you in currently? Oh, Arizona. Arizona. Okay. You're in Arizona. Yep. And growing. Born in California. Okay. You know, raised in Arizona. And growing up, did you ever experience any strange lights in the sky? <clears throat> any, anything that you would. I have a very, very realization on that. I'm, I'm not nuts. Okay, dude. I, I understand. Like, it, in perspective, any unidentified flying object is that as such. 
That does not mean that it's alienated in any way. That just means like anybody that has an engineering degree can build themselves a so-called UFO that could probably freak a few people out just because of um, we're on a state of edge, you know, and I'm very, very real to this. Uh, like this is a very real reality. I mean, we live in a state of chaos where just everything is just hearsay. Nobody really has any experience or wisdom more or less to separate themselves from the knowledge that they have. Yes, I'm just wondering if you had any influence before you got into this subject, I well, guess you could say. Y- yes and no. Like, I, I mean, I, I guess, you know, my mom and my grandfather, they're Native American and they're very spiritual in that way. So they have, you know, prayer sections, but, mm. you know, like the whole dancing around, you know, something, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, oh, uh, right. I hear you. Know, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so they're, they're really spiritual. I mean, I grew up, uh, when I was really young, up till like I was five or so, I lived on an Indian reservation, which was really secluded from, you know, population in California. Right. Yeah. I mean, and that's, there was all types of crazy stuff. I remember, but that was like, you know, uh, figments of my imagination because I'm a young child. I, I imagine, I do recall Everything. Uh, I want to make that clear. I can recall every memory wow. I've ever experienced in my life. That's pretty and wild. I, I never knew that that was uh, something that not everybody can do. Uh, but I can literally recall anything and everything that's ever happened uh, in my life very vividly. Yeah. Not everyone's like yeah. that. You're right. <laughs> yeah, for sure. That That's pretty crazy. So you you could remember I, things way back then. You probably have memories of uh, yourself my, in a crib. First, well, oh, that's actually interesting. Uh, I'm sorry, I wasn't. I didn't mean to cut you oh, off. It's, it's I okay. kind of figured out your question, but that's yeah, an it's interesting okay. one. Um, mm-hmm. I, I my first memory is actually, you know, I was. It was before I was one. I recall listening to. It was some guitarist uh, that my dad used to play because he played. He was a guitarist. And I recall him playing an acoustic guitar and strumming this song, this specific song. I'm having trouble remembering this specific song, but mm-hmm. I remember like, you know, moving my head as a baby and like listening to the music and like looking at all the colors and stuff around me. But I didn't really know what anything was at the time. I just knew that it was interesting to me. Like I remember having little tiny fingers and plucking the acoustic strings and stuff. Right. Yeah. I mean, like I have very, very, Faint memories of when I was young, but as I got older, they become more and more vivid. It's not just like jumps or skips in like, you know, a few months mm-hmm. or, you know, a, full, a few years. I don't, I don't skip a few years. It's more or less a few months with me. That's interesting. Growing yeah, up. Right? I mean, I grew up with all, yeah. always knowing that as normal. I thought that everybody, when they're like, Oh, I remember that, you know, I thought that they remember very mm-hmm. vividly everything that took place. Sure. <laughs> like such as I do. And when you were growing up in, in these Indian reservations, obviously they told you or you heard stories of skinwalkers, or correct? I mean, <laughs> well, what they had was like a monkey man or some shit like that. A, a monkey like, man? Like a, yeah, they, well, my mom used to tell me this story. I like monkey. Of like this reservation go, yeah, I know, right? You like a monkey man? I love monkey, yes. <laughs> yeah, it's like a Sasquatch or something. That's how I pictured it at least. You know, monkey man or some, something right. like that of that order. But uh, my mom, uh, my grandfather told me these stories. Like, you know, my grandfather was mean, dude. I, well, he wasn't mean. He was very, 
uh, oh. humorous. So he would mm-hmm. play tricks on, you know, little kids like, oh, he's going to get you, uh, oh, you know, that type of stuff. But his stories were so intricate and very grave in detail. <laughs> I mean, th- that's all they were, though. You know, I could separate fact from fact. Right. Mm-hmm. I hear you. So. But uh, Skinwalkers, no. Mm-hmm. But I think that's more, uh, like, I don't know, I'm guessing Navajo Indians or something like that. Mm. Yeah, there's different different stories. Um, there's been many stories, actually, different inclinations of that. But when you were out there, you don't recall seeing anything in the sky? Seems like there's always like activity I mean, out there for dude, some I, I love stargazing. Mm-hmm. I mean, you never seen anything when, out there that you recall. I mean, that's what I mean. Like nothing as far as from a shooting star or an odd looking, you know, satellite object, mm-hmm. you know, right. And that's about it. You know, nothing abstract that I would call out of the ordinary or, you know, crazy, you know, deductions. So everything was pretty much normal then growing up. Um, in these, uh, these places, right? Well, there was a lot of tragedy, you know, and that, that's about it. My, my life tends to rear off in a very dramatic downhill spiral, you know, with family, friends, and that whole agenda. Yeah, that's, that's, I normal. mean, that, that's that might expected. separate me from the herd a little bit. Well, sometimes you have to cut off. I, you know, I, I don't separate myself generally from society. It's more or less like, more or less where it would distinguish my actions. I didn't exactly, I didn't exactly mean society. I meant your friends and family. Sometimes you need to cut them off. Oh, oh no, no. Like I didn't have a choice in the matter. It was, uh, well, what happened? Tell me. I want to know. I mean, I don't want to get all teary eyed and stuff. I mean, that's not what we're here for. I mean, you know, there's some really heavy tragedy that took place and it really, shook my family up pretty bad so people lost their lives in other words right what's that people lost their lives correct uh i mean we want to get down to it i mean yeah there's a lot of people that lost their lives uh growing up i think i was uh i was 11 or 10 specifically and uh i had a little baby brother that passed away Uh, he got out in the back backyard and he you know fell in the pool Oh, Lord. Um, stuff like that, you know, that, that turned out really badly, kind of fractured my family from then on forth. You know, my mom right. went downhill. Yeah. My sister went, you know, like, uh, more sold herself out of the family altogether. Uh, just a bunch of stuff, you know, there was yes, unsupportive members. There was mm-hmm. supportive ones that, you know, passed on later on. There was. Uh, just like a complete fracture over time. And I, I see where it happens and why it happens through just ignorance and like these ties that we hold so dearly because of pride. It was just like a very bad thing, you know, and we're just so prideful nowadays. Like everybody is prideful. I see it. I see. So, I mean, it could happen to anybody if, you know, the certain events took place for them, you know, because we all tend to act the same way. In, in some manner or form. I mean, we're all different, but only to a certain extent. You get my meaning? <laughs> I understand. So yeah. talk to me uh, about this experience that you had and talk to me a- about what in your mind you think this was. Okay. So um, getting, getting back to the story, uh, mm-hmm. uh, it was more or less as if um, I see the void. I feel the void of uh, space. And I, I actually searched online after, it's just like right after this whole incident took place, my nerves were shocked. 
uh, I noticed that I was subconsciously doing certain things that I wouldn't do because I don't necessarily do physical action subconsciously. It's more or less like a thought deduction for, uh, for me, at least. Um, and that really, you know, scared me because I, I really figured that this is, this is real, you know, this could actually happen. Uh, let me tell you, right. Before this experience, I went to some alien, uh, meeting or something when I was like 17 with my buddy and some other buddy of mine. His, uh, family was, or his mom as actually specifically was the one who was interested in the whole thing. And they had like a seminar here in Arizona. And I went to that thing. And I just remember hearing somewhere, if you ever get in an experience, you ever have contact, you know, if you really don't want to go, just remember to think clearly that you don't want to go. Um, and that just kind of always stuck to me, you know, from then on. You know, I always, you know, remembered that fact. Uh, so if I was ever in a state of chaos, I could ever use that fact, mm-hmm. uh, which actually, you know, I had to do at this time. Um, but. Uh, if we get back to the story, uh, the void of space is, um, a very, very deep feeling. I, I don't know if you've ever heard of astronauts going out in space and, uh, them actually recalling this, this exact feeling that I'm talking about. Uh, it's like a deepening, sickening feeling, almost like if you dive into the ocean and you look down and you don't see anything but just like darkness and blue. It's almost like a, a gut eerie feeling. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes. Okay. But then again, somewhat like that, but on a very, very intense level. Right. I'm hearing all sorts. Okay. I'm hearing all sorts of background noises. Sorry about that. I got distracted. Oh, with with me? No, 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 not not on your end. On my end. Oh, okay. I I heard all sorts of yeah. I heard doors slamming. I don't know what the hell is going on. Scared the hell out of me. Yeah. Sorry. (laughs) Well, I'm not gonna lie. Um, every time I tell this story, people tend to. Get the factor that this is actually a real experience. I'm, I'm not a storyteller. Before this experience, I was a nobody. I portrayed myself as a nobody. I had no hope. And uh, this actually pushed me to strive to be more progressive with people, be more understanding. Uh, I needed to make that clear. Before this incident, I had no self, self-distinguishing like factors that I could hold on to. I see. Right. But uh just, I remember seeing the earth and the backdrop behind. And then this is right when I became conscious. Now, the whole instance took with within what was a conscious five minutes, but it turned out to be a few hours in time. Uh, all I know is when I was conscious, I started getting relayed a message. And it was like having a full conversation, like, what we just started with to at this very moment, but within a few seconds, it was like getting understanding, clarity, and to the point, structure, everything all at one point, boom, you know, both parties already know where you're coming from, what you're doing, how you feel, what, what's your point, all, all that stuff, you know, that's why it was the most yeah. amazing sensation. And I, I'm like a personal thinker. I like to think in my head a lot. So whenever I'm in like a group, I always think subconsciously, like I'm always sitting there, you know, talking like, you know, given you ever watched that show Scrubs? Uh, I have before in the past. I, I haven't recently. <laughs> it's not a popular show, so I don't blame you. <laughs> it really is. But I feel like, you know, how he like talks in the background and in his head, like, oh, I'm you sure. know, goes to a cutscene or whatever in his head. Mm-hmm. That's more or less how I feel when I'm in, you know, social environments. 
you know, you have I tend to be in my own head, you know, I tend to judge people subconsciously, yeah, but not, yeah. not like a judgy, like in a, in like a mean way. It's more or less in a, an understanding. Like I almost size you up to see if you're a threat or not, <laughs> you know, whether it be mentally, you know, physically or emotionally, what, whatever the case. Why is it that yeah, you, I, I tend to, yeah. Why is it, do you think you do that? I'm just curious. Well, it's, well, it's, you know, I, I tend to not like to deal with people. Most people are not good people. <laughs> you kind of sound, <laughs> you, know, you kind of sound like me now. It's kind of funny. Well, I mean, you <laughs> probably have a natural deduction on how people work and, you know, you well, obviously see I'm around you and your surroundings, um, good and bad yes, people, right? Right. I'm extremely intuitive. However, I could read people immediately. Oh. It's kind of scary. It's kind of scary. <laughs> Sometimes it, it does feel like that, but I have to warn you, you know, with somebody that is not oblivious and an oblivious state, which you will rarely find, they can be very crafty with their emotions. And I found that the hard way, Uh-oh. you know, with people that are sly or mm. crafty in the way where they could hide their emotions when your guard's down. But yes. that's more or less why my guard is never down <laughs> anymore. Um, yeah, I understand. I'm with you, though. You know, I, I always say on this program that most people I feel are potential menaces. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's kind of dark. I agree. I agree. It's a little like, dark, de- but definitely menaces. And that's why there's so many of these, um, you know, people that feel like they need to give these menaces an ultimatum, you know, and more or less go out and do terrible things to right. prove more or less a point. You know, you see it all the time on, on like the news, but it's more or less towards the media's perspective rather than the actual corresponding event. But I see through media. I, I'm so good at reading, you know, body language, like, you know, you could discern how right. everybody's right. acting in a social event or, or some sort of actions that are taking place. I read through the media perspective, if that makes any sense. Uh, yeah, I, I understand. Um, by the way, Jeff, I, I am curious. You're not a religious person, are you? Uh, absolutely not. <laughs> not but at all. Let not. me tell you this. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not religious in the way where I believe that a God exists in my type of form or my understanding, because that would make no sense. Right. You know, that would make, if you want to explain life, you're going to have to take a look at nature. Can you explain nature? Not entirely. And if you can't, then you should start like figuring out the answers for that before you tackle something as big as life. Because I want to tell you something. Life and nature is not the same thing. One dictates another. Right. Yeah. And that's what the biggest difference is. And if you delve and look into the specific meaning of nature, you will find the proper tools to find the meaning of life because you need experience to find that wisdom. And I need people to understand that as well, that. You can have all the knowledge in the world, but without getting out there doing any experience, you will not have any wisdom in your lifetime. Correct. Can't deny that. Yeah, that's that's something that, you know, I live by, you know, for sure. Wise move. Yeah, but, you know, a lot of people say I'm pretty wise. I take pride in that. <laughs> well, you're a wise guy, and not in a sarcastic manner. <laughs> but, yes, let's continue on with the story. Okay. So... This message I was being relayed, I want, want to like explain this, like, because of how fast the conversation went in my perspective, it was really hard to keep pace. But because I was so conscious and coherent and, and I recall every memory very vividly, 
which defers me from the group per se. So I think this is why their method did not work on me. If we're talking literal, okay, hey, this is aliens or whatever. Well, let's get to the point. I really do think that this could have been an experience and they were were relaying to me. And the whole point and the reason why I don't just cover up the the memory in my head because I found myself doing that after the fact, uh, that I was different. You know, it affected me differently and that I could recall a lot more. Some people can recall a lot more, but it was so traumatic. And I want to say this was traumatic. This was the most uh, unspeakable flipping thing that could ever happen to somebody. It really you seems know, like And it, yeah. I was just not ready for that <laughs> whatsoever. But the message that Good was, Lord. you know, told to me in this whole person, while all going on, I'm all feeling, you know, really shaken up already because I can see the earth, you know, just like pummeling below me, spinning, you know, like almost in a very slow uh, movement, but the clouds are moving faster than the actual turn of the earth, I notice, And it's just like you can, you can deduct, you know, natural phenomena. You know how the earth is spinning. You know, if you could see it spinning, you know, in reality, that thing is moving like really, really, really fast. And it just, it was just awe-inspiring. Wait, you're not uh, a flat earther? I was lied too. What's that? I said, you're not a flat earther? Oh, no, no, no. Not, uh, not at all. <laughs> I'm, I'm joking I, with you. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, I tend to stay in reality and, and what I can deduct, you know, from my own perspective, um, surroundings and stuff. I obviously think that the natural laws of physics would comply, you know, in a vacuum, you know, in space or whatever, you know, just like how we can do the same thing on here, but just not deduct the gravity. I'm going to go. That's actually what all the experiments are going on in the international space station i'm probably gonna attack that yes i'm probably gonna get attacked now by the flat earthers uh they were very <laughs> well, upset it, with it's me. okay L- listen i i want them to have their own perspective that's good they need to delve into these very complex very immersed subjects and i want them to understand that their deduction of simplicity and putting value in something that they cannot value themselves is the issue it's more or less just it's hearsay. Just because somebody writ it down is the whole point. Like this is the whole point they don't believe because just because of what they were told and and all of this, but yet it's being told to them from another source. I'm just it's curious not a how deduction in yes. reality. You I, know, I'm just curious how this whole movement got started. I'm trying to figure out who was the most vocal of them all. Oh, dude, it, honestly, it's the social media. It's it's the the popularization, how there are celebrities doing this and it's being published in the media. Media controls all. Of Let course. me tell you that. Like yes. it controls people. It keeps you oblivious. It keeps you focused on a certain objective rather than another. Keeps you or alive. coming up with anymore right. because you're focused on this one thing. Uh, this is why I siphoned out, uh, Facebook. I got rid of social media and everything because I wanted to be an active learner. So I wanted to get online and I wanted to learn every flipping day possible you know i wanted no distractions nothing so i got rid of every social media i have ever owned you cut the cord yes. i just focused on learning you know and i want to tell you that it made a huge uh advantage in my life like it, it changed my life completely you know, social I feel like media is a, I'm more focused on life right in general social media is a good way to control the masses it is it's done it's, very it's good done place, its job really good place to start <laughs> It's really done its job, I believe. Um, okay. 
Um, so I guess what, what you're going to ask is like, well, what were you relayed? You know, what were you told? Right? Sure. We could start there. Well, this is the issue here because I wasn't told anything. It was more or less I experienced it. It was a conversation I experienced <laughs> rather than physically being there. But yet I do think my physical form was present. I just didn't see it as such. Like they talked to me without me being uh, present in reality. <laughs> and how long ago was this, by the way? This was a year and a half a ago. A year ago or so. Okay. A year exactly um, then. So, well, let me just get to the point. What they were relaying to me is I have a cause. You know, I have needs or I have like the tools that could affect a lot of people, you know, that could help a lot of people that could bring forth a, a new start of knowledge, uh, hope. They, they transpired me understanding, uh, complete like they they set me goals but at the point i believe when they were trying to set goals because all i remember is them trying to communicate with me that i have a purpose and at that point i was so aware of the like the stimulus of the earth and the backdrop and all of that you know i was more or less in a, in a state of panic so i i immediately started like give me one second no a little bit of a pause there, folks. I think he's moving around. Oops, sorry about that. Oh, there yeah. you are. Moving the other. Moving to yeah. a quiet so I, location. I immediately started relaying messages, like, like I just remember saying, like, no, repeatedly, because at at the point of what they were telling me was almost making me, you know, cry, weep. I I, I was weeping, but not really in reality. I felt as if that's what I was doing. And then it was more or less that I relayed imagery and understanding of why I couldn't be what they wanted me to be, why I had certain things still on earth to take care of, because uh, I felt almost out of panic state. Um, let me Before that incident, before I had to relay them all that stuff, I, I noticed that the earth started uh, fading away, almost like it was moving further and further and further away until I could see almost the whole circle or sphere. Yes. Right. So at that point, uh, because of the speed that it was moving away, I could obviously, you know, deduct mileage and stuff like that. I, I felt like it was getting so fast and so far away that there was no way I would ever, uh, like, come back. And the void, I want to get back to that. The feeling of the void got more stronger. It was more prominent. It was more empty. As I went further and further away, it became more and more empty. Uh, that's the deep stomach feeling that I had. Um, when I started relaying the messages to them, like, no, 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 I, I can't do this. I, I started, I feel like I was on my knees, hands and knees, but in reality, I don't know what it was. I, I, I can't tell you because my physical form wasn't really shown. Like, I can't, I don't even remember if I've seen, you know, the tip of my nose, honestly. But I do know that it was a visual experience. There was a commutative experience and they were trying to tell me something and I freaked out. And as soon as I freaked out, uh, it was almost like someone turned off the light bulb. <laughs> I see. You know, I, I was getting all this information. Like, you know, it was almost like, uh, you ever, you remember in, uh, when you're in grade school and kids are playing at recess, right? Right. And have you ever saw, 
sat solo at recess and just like laid your head down and hear all the kids in the background. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. sure, that, that's time or what two. I was experiencing, but more or less I could distinguish, understand and project my own feeling to each one of those voices and be able to comprehend what everything is going on. But it was, it felt in reality wasn't like seconds, you know, it was probably just sped up. Uh, I don't understand how that works, but I I just know that it was really, really fast in my perspective, but I understood it because it was a thought process. Thought processes are a lot faster than how we can interact with one another, like physically, you know, because obviously we have to think it before we do it. Right. Correct. Okay. Well, this is how I can make sense of it more or less uh, why it was so quick because it was already like, okay, we're done with this topic. Let's go to the next subject. (laughs) You know, but so fast, like beyond comprehension, like, you know, in our own state of reality, it it was really insane. Um, So if we want to go ahead and PowerPoint the two two things that, you know, they told me it was. By the way, before people get lost, define they for for the listeners out there. I want to self-extinguish the experience as like it or they because it was a certain thing or somebody i can't tell you if it wasn't because there wasn't any physical form that was in front of me that was talking to me such as like if you were in front of me right now we were talking mm-hmm. there was nothing like that right it was more or less like i i, I didn't experience <laughs> that's why i like saying experience because <laughs> sure. i can't explain it in yes. any other way i've tried every other words, every other thought process. And this is why I think so many people stay hush about any sort of thing that could happen to them, like in this manner. Well, you know, interesting enough here on the program, I talked about this a while back. Um, when I was maybe seven, eight years old, I had this strange, this strange phenomenon happen to me when I was trying to sleep. I had this weird, strange buildup of different voices talking. And it got louder and louder and louder, and I couldn't really decipher what they were trying to convey to me. It's just, it sounded like uh, multiple conversations going off at once. Uh, obviously, this is a totally different experience, however. It's, uh, no, totally, well, it's I, kind I of... I actually have a question on that. Uh, did you try to respond in any way? No. Did your parents, like, come in and go with a screaming kid in the room? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm so, I'm so young at that age. I, I had no clue about any of these things. Well, how, how young were you? I was probably seven or eight years old at that time. Um, I, I, I don't know and, what uh, was that. I don't know what was going on when that, when that happened. I mean, could there have been like, you know, a TV playing in the other room, like the, you know, like the, you no, know, the muffled. No, uh, everybody was, was asleep at that time. TVs okay. were off. Yeah. Everybody was in their rooms, all of that stuff. I, I wanted to, uh, you know, it's funny. A lot of people have some sort of odd experience around the ages of like, I think it's five to 10 or 11 years old. Yeah, it's and true. It's, it, I had it, the yes, old, and it, this is actually a natural phenomenon. The I, I experienced our the, brains are so active right. in trying to distinguish reality from, you know, non-reality. Uh, that we tend to mix shit up a lot, <laughs> you know, growing up. Obviously, yeah, uh, there was probably a lot of nerdy, weird stuff you did as a kid that you wouldn't do as an adult currently, right? I wouldn't go that far. 
I was never a nerdy kid. Like, you know, you ever, like, you know, did a little, you know, stuck your tongue out, stuck it on, stuck your hand underneath your armpit, like, you know, doing stupid kid stuff. You know what I mean? Like, there's a dis- distinguishing factor. <laughs> Probably, sure. Or being, yeah, well, that, that's what I'm talking about. This is something that we didn't really think about doing. We just did it because it was based on instinct to be happy or to be mad or, you know, you'd be a child. Uh, childish on any subject, you know, any sort of interaction, honestly. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a gentleman named Dr. Albert Taylor who also experienced something quite similar to what I did. And we both don't, don't know what the hell that was. And, um, I try to be open-minded, of course, to something that would lead to a rational explanation for that. But I, right. I still haven't found any, any, um, conclusion that makes sense. Well, just know that the mind is a very the mind's strange, yeah. The mind's non-subordinate thing. <laughs> it's a very strange thing. It's a very complex yeah. thing. But it is probably the most complex thing of, the of universe, man right? Altogether, or or all of humanity. I'm, I'm sorry, feminists out there. So let let's get back to your story here. Um. Okay. So I, I I'm guessing you, you know after dealing with uh this event. You know, it was after I told him, no, it was almost like a light bulb switch going off, right? After I got my point across, I relayed the images, uh, that I want to get back to that part actually before I close up, uh, you know, the conclusion, but the imagery that I sent them actually almost looked like it pinpointed. It's like a photo image and it like pinpointed somewhere on earth. They were all very close to each other. Uh, but I didn't see the actual land mass. I just seen like, you know, going it through the atmosphere, kind of hovering over. But like, I pictured these imagery, like this imagery of uh, my life and my wants, my needs, my goals. Why, pretty much why I couldn't just leave everyone up, up and behind or leave anything behind, you know, cause I really don't have too many ties, but I do have uh, things that I wouldn't allow to be unsettled or left unsettled I, I wouldn't allow certain things to happen you know if if i can't if i had a physical choice to prevent it you know i just couldn't live with that and it was almost as if it was complete understanding because i noticed after my freak out uh I, I say it was like a freak out because you know there was no baller and you know screaming you sure, know or yeah. pretty much no mm-hmm. and uh all the imagery, I noticed that the voices stopped, right? And it was almost like it was, it was silent. And I was like sitting there. It's almost like a, a whimpered, whimpering child, like looking up all of us. Like, you're like, I, I just want to say that was like more or less the feeling. I didn't physically do that, but it was almost like a feeling that I had. I was like, Oh my God, I just like embarrassed myself, <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. And it was almost like the lights went off. Like, uh, it was like a mental bag over my head you know, like a sheath and lights went off and I awoke uh behind the short wall that we began the story with that I was sitting on and texting. Uh I like when I awoke or I felt like my eyes were already open for some reason because I don't remember physically opening my eyes, but I'm sure that happened. Uh, was it, my left, it was my left arm was fixed uh like in an upward motion. I was on my back, by the way. Uh it was fixed in an upward, uh, weird motion. It was stuck there. My hand was also 
like, you know, grabbing like a sphere almost. Like that's what it looks like if you were holding like the, like a snow globe, you know, like, you know, how, how your hand would appear. That's how my hand was fixed and it was stuck. So I had paralysis or something. I was conscious. I was freaking out. I'm like, you know, I was like freaking out and I started moving my fingers slowly because I remembered, uh, you know, from Kill Bill, you know, moved a little too. <laughs> <But> <laughs> right. You, you know what I mean? So I started moving yeah. my, uh, my fingers and, uh, I got movement in my, my, uh, I believe my pinky first and then my, my hand and then my, my arm began to drop and I was like, Oh my gosh. And then I immediately sprung up. And as soon as I sprung up, I subconsciously buttoned up my shirt. Why was my shirt unbuttoned? I don't know, but I caught myself doing it once I got like, you know, one button from being complete. I noticed I was like, wait, why was my shirt unbuttoned? I was like, why was I on my back? What the hell's going on? You know, and it was almost like, uh, I knew what transpired, but I didn't believe it myself. I felt like I, went to sleep or something, but there was no possible way. I didn't lay on my damn gravel. You know, I was just going to see my girlfriend. I'm not going to fucking, you know, I'm not going to get dirty to right. see my girlfriend. Or so, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like that makes no sense in my mind. Uh, I do take into account that, you know, maybe it was just some crazy low blood sugar coincidence. Maybe I don't take that as a not reality, you know, inst- for like instance that could happen. Uh, yes. It's just the factors that it was very vivid. And it affected me so much uh, that, you know, I was just so in shock, you know. So once I felt like I was subconsciously doing things, I became more aware. I was like, I have to be more aware so I don't forget anything. So I started gathering my surroundings. I felt my pockets, uh, my pockets were empty. Um, I guess that my phone that I have on me and my wallet that I never take out of my back pocket because I'm... I'm kind of forgetful when I place things there and I feel like it's secure and then I completely go off and do something else. I, I don't like losing my wallet. So that's, that's something that will never come out. I know that feels like nice. household. You, you know what I mean? Unless I know I'm paying for something. Well, right. So it was odd that the phone was on top of my wallet. Nonetheless, I didn't even use the wallet as a pillow or it wasn't used as a pillow. Uh, the phone was actually used. Uh, the phone was set on top of the wallet. And my head was set on top of the phone on the ground as I'm like, you know, waking up. But I didn't notice that when I first like, you know, uh, stood up. But I noticed it when I, you know, buttoned up my shirt. I grabbed it and I'm like, well, what the hell is going on? <laughs> you know, and it's as soon as I grabbed it and I looked over, uh, my girlfriend was walking right down the street. Uh, you know, she said, you know, she's like, oh, hey, what's going on? Oh, sorry, I'm, you know, late. Uh, it took a, an extra hour or so. Like, why didn't you text me for two hours? I'm like, oh my gosh. Like, what are you talking about? Like, I was just texting you. Uh, what felt in that reality was I was just texting her. I was just still sitting on the, that short wall. And then just there was like some friction or fracture in my time or something like a, a buffer. Wow. But I yeah. was very conscious during that little buffer that was two hours, but what seemed to be a conscious five minutes. That's crazy. And it, it is very crazy. Yeah. And and this is why Jeez. I was in shock. I, I was completely starstruck, literally. Like my face was like dropped. You know, I couldn't make an expression. I was, I couldn't smile. Uh, my girlfriend obviously like knew something was up. She's like, Hey, what's going on? Is everything all right? I'm like, yeah. Like I was just so blank, you know, cause I was so in my head that I had to like, you know, keep it cool. 
And I was like, I don't know if I want to tell her this because this is insane. This is, <laughs> this yeah, is literally not, not real. Something you know, you I, I would say. have to make some sort of natural deduction of my own, right? Right. Right. So, uh, we get back, uh, we get back to her house, uh, the whole walk there. I don't even recall it because I was so in my head and so shooken up. Uh, she was talking to me. I don't recall anything what she said. And that is very, very rare for me to ever do. Um, yeah, I'm very respectful. I don't, I don't daydream when I'm, you know, someone's having a conversation with, but this was so traumatic that I was focused on a certain, uh, subject matters that nothing around me really, it was all kind of yeah. autopilot, <laughs> you know, from then on. And, uh, I immediately, once we got to her house, I, you know, I started getting on the phone. I, I started looking up, um, signs of contact or possible signs of contact or like any sort of information on the subject. And from then on, it just grew in, into this giant snowball of like, I need to secure proper knowledge for everything that I don't know. And, and yeah. it's like a completely different mindset. So for that complete whole year and a half, I enveloped in everything from conspiracy to, uh, like crazy political ties to all this crazy nonsense that the world is having trouble sense of it in my own head and it, it's it's really baffling that nobody else has you know fixed these problems because they seem so easy to me it's just emotions causing the main issues with a lot of the problems in the world and nobody sees that as an issue uh <laughs> but but you know what i mean like uh, it's it was just so crazy that my mind has not stopped running ever since then <laughs> and i feel yeah. like i have a certain purpose or tie to this world that i need to complete that's really interesting yeah. i can go any further you know and i literally mean that in any perspective or any reality to go any further that's very interesting you seem to have gone this download of sorts through this experience of yours <laughs> I, I i like that choice of words that's that's a pretty pretty nice fashion choice of words and i i agree with it yeah i think it's um pretty well suited Pretty soon. Yeah, I want to promote myself uh, uh-huh. as well as I can because of how just how oddball it is, really. You know, you got all these people in the media, you know, promoting very, very strange, obscure things in the very wrong way, to be put blatantly. You know, it, it's not proper. If you're gonna if you're gonna talk about something that happened, uh, like in reality, or you know, you gotta have a good head on your shoulders for one. You have to make sure that you're not, uh, your mind's not too decayed <laughs> in the way because going through natural process, we all like to be in a state of oblivion. Sure. Yes. We don't like to focus on anything in the real world because if you did, you would be on a state of edge uh, all times, such as I am. Wow. I understand everyone's perspective. I understand it, anything and everything. And if I don't, I will try to. And I'm very petitious on this i will try you to the extent to where i will focus until i do <laughs> so i i must ask where exactly do you see do you see yourself in the next few years here you know that's funny i i don't i i want to go with the flow this whole thing i take pride in this uh thing you know i don't want to be a man of success i want to be a man of value and Albert Einstein says this in a te- uh, a quote of his, and it just kind of always stuck with me. You know, I want to be someone of value to people. I don't want to be known as like, oh, that, that's uh, 
you know, that's that's just somebody that's really successful. President, that's Donald Trump right there. That's <laughs> you know what I mean. Like, I don't want to be someone that's known as just for success. I want to have value oh, yeah. to somebody. You know, I want to have meaning. I want to have hardship. I want to have some sort of emotion come from that other person because when they think of me, it, it makes them change their course of mind, and uh, not in a negative way either. Uh, if if that makes any sense. Yeah, it does. And Truly does, I, I believe I have the proper tools to do so. I just don't have the proper outlet. I, I'm, I'm, you know, I've, I've always been given the shorthand in life, and and that's that's fine. I don't tend to worry about that. That's not a big problem for me. You know, poverty, all that crap growing up, it wasn't something that was a main issue to cry about to me. Because mm-hmm. without it, I wouldn't have a good head on my shoulders. I wouldn't have a certain perspective of understanding because I would be some you know, person that had everything given to them in a certain way, you know, and not respect it when it is around. You know, you know what I mean? I hear you. Like little things. Yeah, some people don't take lots of things for consideration. It's not a, a value we see in most people these days at all. It's, it's really rare, you know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're a very strong-minded individual, and I think you're going to do lots of positive things here in the future. And I mean that in, a, in the most sincere way. Oh, thank you. That actually means a lot to me. Very cool. I, I do want to thank you yeah, for, <laughs> yes, and I hate to do this, but um, we are going to be wrapping up here very shortly. And I do want to thank you right. for your time. I really do appreciate it. Thanks for hanging out with me tonight here on End of Days of the Michael Deacon Program. <laughs> I'm sorry for running your clock down. I wanted oh, some more okay. feedback from you, but it was more jaw jacking on my end but i appreciate it well maybe i can you're gonna come back get on next time <laughs> no you're gonna come back don't worry we're gonna run through things we'll we'll be able to talk uh more about other subjects uh don't worry we're, we're gonna have to do this on maybe the first hour of the program instead of having you on okay. yeah instead of having you on later on here on, on the second half that'd be great yeah i'll give you more time next time and we'll we'll tackle a bunch of other subjects here I mean, it's a very deep, deep subject that no one, I, I mean, nobody can cover it and have the other party comprehend what they're trying to state it, because it's something that's so confusing and it, well, and I need to break their, yeah, well, their we'll own conspiracy ties, mm-hmm. their own certain understandings that they yes. think they have, you well, know. Yeah, when we're going to totally, about it. <laughs> we are totally going to do that, no doubt. I feel that this is just one of many episodes. So, <laughs> well, that'd be great, dude. I, I, you know, I love being able to, you know, share some of my experience and, you know, that like, I feel like a lot of my upbringing, you know, might have brought uh, a lot of this focus, you know, towards me, uh, within an outer world perspective, you know, we're talking about reality here, <laughs> but, you know, we'll, we'll talk about that maybe on, you know, next time on, uh, yeah. the channel. Yeah, we're gonna do it again. Don't worry. But I, I do want to leave you though with with the final word. Any any final closing words? Any any positive messages for those individuals out there who might need it? Absolutely. It, if you guys seek answers, don't go seeking them online. Though it is a good source of knowledge, I I do promote you anybody and everybody to actually get out there. That's not behind a screen. Go talk to somebody. Go make cordial events. Go go do anything, anything and everything. It doesn't matter. Go if you can't think of anything, search for something. Because I want to tell you, experience 
will bring the answers that you're looking for that you might not already have because the knowledge will not be distinguishable without the wisdom. And to gain that, you need the experience. So get out there and, you know, go change lives. <laughs> yeah. That was almost perfect. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Don't worry. It was good. It was good. I'm not scripted. My bad, guys. <laughs> yeah, that, I think people really appreciate that. You know, there, there are hope out there if you wish to see it, you know, and it's hard to. Uh-oh. It seems like we might have been cut off there. Or he might have been cut off there. Oh, no, we lost him. Just when we were closing up, he was taken away. I hope he doesn't get mad at me and thinks I, I hung up on him or something like that, folks. My God. Oh, I think I know what it was. He was calling in through his cell phone. So, oh, yeah, look, there it is, folks. He thinks I, I got angry at him. But in fact, the car dropped. Let me see if I could get him back in here really quickly to say goodbye. Hmm. Let's see. Hold on, folks. I'm sorry to... Oh, getting another call here. Hold on. Is that who I think it is? Good evening, Michael. It's anxious. What's going on, man? How are you? Oh, I'm doing well. Just enjoying this Saturday evening session of my church with my community and the great guests that you bring on this show. Very now, cool. And what a great show it was. You know, it was... It was insane to today was one of those crazy nights i feel like uh platonic awakenings was uh a prominent theme through uh both guests this evening i'm gonna have to agree with you on that one for <laughs> sure you know it was interesting because they were uh you know platonic um experiences from both ends of the spectrum you have the negative end of the spectrum with the demonic you know possession experience and then we have the next guest who has this uh you know almost uh undescribable uh experience that uh you know supercharged him with positivity and uh you know positive awakenings if this was a um alien experience you know i would want to uh get on board with the self-help aliens they sound uh quite friendly yes i i'm trying to get a hold of them are you out oh, there? I'm right here, bud. Okay, there you are. Yes, I'm, I'm sorry about that. It said that the car dropped. I, I got that on my Oh, yes. Don't worry. Douglas, or uh, Jeffrey, rather. Don't worry. Um, can you say goodbye to everybody? I, I didn't mean to make you think I got angry at you there. Oh, oh no, oh, I didn't no, think that. I thought your um, you know, urine might have died out or connected? something. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you know, thanks for having me, bud. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it was, nah, it was. I really do appreciate all your listeners to tuning in as well. Yeah, man, I had a great time, and like I said, we're gonna have to do this again soon. Yeah, absolutely, because uh, you know, there's a lot of uh tidbits, you know, that you know I could fill in the story oh, for somebody who's having troubles, you know, that could be just tuning in or so. Uh, but yeah, I do appreciate you know the opportunity to do so. You know, it's still fresh in my mind, and I will not allow it to leave so yes so once again thank you for for being here and we'll talk again soon my friend yep take care i right, take care and there he goes with the wind so what's going on buddy oh we were uh just discussing uh jeffrey i'm glad you're able to get him back on the show yeah. to give everyone a proper send-off i had it i had to do it i was feeling bad yeah, but that was uh, quite an experience that he had. And uh, one of the things that was interesting to me, and I would have, um, you know, I'm, I'm interested in hearing his opinion on when he comes back on the show, 
are the Native American Indian, uh, you know, vision quests, uh, you know, oftentimes which are a rite of passage into uh, becoming right. a man. Exactly. Yeah. There, there's lots to get into with him. Yeah, I'm quite interested in terms of uh, these experiences to the extent of how much uh, outside influence involved and how much of it is just a, uh, you know, self-expression, um, you know, a, uh, a self-induced, uh, you know, realization or platonic experience, if you will. Sure. And what did you think of the first guest? Uh, you know, largely that was uh, my biggest question for him as well. Um, you know, the topic of demonic possession. Wasn't that crazy? Yes, it's fascinating. And he spoke of, you know, how he was, uh, you know, plagued with these these type of images and thoughts at a very young age. And I could relate because I was too. some of my earliest memories as a child, uh, you know, involved such dreams. But I was also very heavily indoctrinated. And I would say that, you know, those uh, type of images were planted in my head. And it was quite easy for my subconscious to realize projections of that. Yes, it was very interesting. It it seemed like he was extremely troubled talking about this sort of thing. He explained that he wasn't. However, he went on to say that he had these traumatic experiences. So it kind of kind of contradicted himself there a little bit. Yeah, there. Uh, it sounded similar to testimony from Tom Horn. Uh, he's also you know of the pre-tribulation eschatology, uh, you know, Protestant Christian kind of focus. Right. Um, but Tom Horn also grew up in a similar situation to where uh, you know he was a little bit more far removed from uh, metropolitan areas, you know, uh, in a very uh, you know Bible believing you know kind of household, and his uh, little sister had these traumatic. Uh, abduction experiences to where, you know, to this day, as I understand it, um, you know, she doesn't sleep uh, alone in a bed. She has to Jeez. be observed because it was so horrifying for her. Yeah, these people end up becoming extremely traumatized. And another weird thing is most people who are contactees, they usually have another family member of theirs who had some sort of experience of their own. I've noticed this pattern. I've also noticed a pattern where they'll have family members who are usually involved in uh, higher levels of the military or intelligence agencies as well. Yeah, that, that's another one. It's very odd, especially being out here where I am. You see all sorts of strange lights in the sky, and my rational mind tells me that there is a naval facility in the, mm -hmm. in the, um, in the area. So, it, it makes me think, well, perhaps these are crafts of our own and not they're not coming from somewhere else. And in terms of the uh, the craft, I am, you know, I definitely am inclined to, uh, you know, lean, lean towards that uh, position, um, especially being as, you know, at the end of World War Two, both the Axis and Allied powers were both uh, engaged in uh, anti-grav. Uh, research as well as flying saucer technology. So it would just make sense that along with Operation Paperclip and whatever else technology was transferred, uh, you know, after the demise of the Axis powers, that that uh, research would continue on. And, you know, with the um, circumstances of the Cold War, it would also, you know, be perfectly reasonable to assume that we would have vested interest in uh, conducting that uh, research in secret. Those goddamn diabolical Nazis. <laughs> they had all the good bases on the North Pole. <laughs> right. They knew something. They also had Half-Life 3. Uh, Half-Life 3 confirmed. 
<laughs> HL3 confirmed. It's confirmed. So I, I, I must ask you, were you always, I guess, interested in UFOs at an early age? Well, you know what? Uh, sins of the father, right? My, uh, dad, you know, um, introduced me to, uh, you know, reading philosophy and, and French topics at a young age. And, uh, one of the books that he had was on Bigfoot and the other one was on UFOs. And, uh, uh the, the uh, I, you I know, think- I, I'm going to have to stop you there because I, I got triggered. I, I think I'm, I think I'm done with Bigfoot. <laughs> You're done with Bigfoot? God, God damn it. I, I think I am. Why is that? I don't, I don't know. I, I just, I, I think I'm just done with it. You know, you I'm need to, uh, it. watch Harry and the Hendersons <laughs> and, uh, have your oh. heart. Oh my God. I might have to do that. You know, it's been a minute since I've seen that film. It's, it's a classic, of course. Everyone loves, everyone loves that film. And oh, every, good old John Lithgow. And everyone loves, uh, Teen Wolf. Yes. Yeah. Good old, uh, Michael, uh, J. Fox back in his early days. Michael J. Fox. Yes. Before, yeah. you know, before he started shaking like that. Before Spin City. Yeah. Before the, um, proverbial earthquake. Yes. He has a good life though. I read his. He uh, really does. And I feel bad for even, even poking fun of him like that. I don't think you would mind. He pokes fun at himself in that way. I know. I, I just feel so sad because I like him. I do too. No, I loved him in all of his work. I've loved him. He's the, the, he's the cheap. best. He's the best. He just exudes uh, positivity and he's just fun to look at. <laughs> he actually really is. He's a interesting character and he always has been since uh, his early years on film. Yeah. His, um, when he, uh, he was, because he was so short when he, mm-hmm. uh, uh, went for his uh, driver's examination to get his permit. He needed to uh, sit on uh, a stack of uh, <laughs> telephone books. <laughs> I, I heard that story myself. Yeah. Yes, yeah. that's so funny, and that that reminds me, Tom Cruise is also very short. Yes, he also has to do that too, where he has to wear those um, extended uh, platforms on his shoes. There, just like uh, Frank Sinatra would wear uh, butt butt uh, extensions. <laughs> would he really? Yes. Oh, Lord. I read a uh, biography uh, on him. I and, have no clue. Um, I forgot which, uh, you know, actress it was at the time, uh, but she slapped him on the butt and he was so mad at her. <laughs> <laughs> so embarrassed about his flat butt. That's pretty crazy. Yeah, there was a level of um, Bernaysian, uh, you know, psychology at work with uh, Frank Sinatra to where he was, you know, born into more of a uh, affluent household and he wanted to be a prominent entertainer. Um, but he wasn't captivating or compelling to anyone in any way. And his mother was the one who arranged all the circumstances to where he kind of had a, a pathway to becoming famous. And the most important or the most interesting uh, application of, uh, you know, group psychology that, you know, he uh, or rather his, um, you know, manager paved the way on uh, was the phenomenon of, you know, women screeching and throwing their undergarments on stage. And that was initially staged by women who were, paid to sit in the first few rows of the uh, audience to to create that phenomenon, which then caught on and uh, created the the swooning phenomenon. That's how it's done on social media as well. Yeah, we don't have the uh, joy of the physical experience as much anymore. We uh, follow it all on Instagram. Right. (laughs) Yes, we do. Except I don't have Instagram, by the way. I don't either. I've been asked multiple times, and it's like, well, I already have... A Twitter account and a Facebook account. I, I think that's about it. That's about it. That's enough. 
Yeah, unless you're uh, seeking to sell the brand of the lifestyle of Michael uh, in a snapshot uh, teenage <sighs> consumable way, um, you know, and start selling protein oh, no. powder. Yeah, I don't know. I might have to go go on Twitch or something. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe after your workouts, uh, you know, you can kind of get oiled up and take some Instagram snaps. I'm oh, sure you get more followers that way. That would not be good. But, you know, by the way, I'm curious, where exactly are you located at again? I'm located in the San Francisco Bay Area. I'm in a little uh, island called Alameda, right between Oakland and San Francisco. Oh, that's right. You're right here in California. That's right. Did you always live in California? I actually grew up in uh, Los Angeles County in the San Fernando Valley. Oh, snap. I didn't even know that. Yep. And then I moved uh, to Northern California uh, as soon as I turned 18. And then ever since then, I've uh, lived between Oregon and uh, California. Hmm. Very interesting. Very interesting. And you also had a very religious upbringing, did you not? Yes. Very religious. Uh, part of the uh, Quiverful movement, as well as um, conservative uh, Calvinist reform theology, which is great because it teaches that before anyone is even born, uh, they're destined to go to hell. And unless you're part of a special group, there's no way out of it. So it's a, right. it's a special, interesting way of uh, viewing the world. It is. <laughs> it's very interesting indeed. And did you see this story about a street uh, preacher who was yelling out, I guess, anti-gay messages and got hit over the head uh, by a student who was outraged by his offensive speech? That's uh you put those words out there and uh you uh project that and you should be able to accept or receive whatever people wish to respond with. <laughs> no, Th this guy story. check this out. Th this guy is from Glendale, Arizona, preacher brother Dean Saxton. Uh, apparently it says here that he makes it a habit to stand outside local high schools and loudly condemn students and members of the LBG community. He often holds a sign that reads, you deserve to be raped. Oh, that's, that's very nice. That's very, um, it's very brotherly. Well, what's funny about it to me, Michael, is, you know, the reason why, uh, Jesus as the figure of Christ, at least as it was written in the gospels was, um, compelling and then also controversial was because he pointed out that true religion was only, you know, um, uh, was actually just to visit the, uh, orphans and widows and their affliction. And if you wanted to demonstrate, you know, your love for God, then you would love your neighbor as yourself. And it also was written that, uh, you know, if you want to be known as a Christian, you're not going to be known as a Christian by being an asshole or by your murder or by your torture or by holding, you know, cardboard signs and screaming violently, you deserve to be raped. No, people will know you're a Christian because of your love. It's your love that betrays you, and that's why you have to go to jail because Christianity is outlawed, right. not because you're running around screeching at people. And what's hilarious is those are the same people who usually wish to become hashtag triggered as they <laughs> say that white Christians here in the West are persecuted. It's like, no, they're not. You're just an asshole. You know, it's it's interesting it's a very interesting time we live in where people take to Twitter uh, to think that they're actually doing something when, in fact, they're not doing anything. They're hashtagging something, uh, a celebrity who died or um, pray for so and so. It's just kind of it's just it's just kind of pointless, in my opinion. 
You're well, not really, you're not really doing a goddamn thing. You're just behind the computer. You're not taking any action. Just like our previous guest said. Yes, absolutely. And it's, I think, um, we see that, uh, behavior accelerate as the situation intensifies to the extent of we do have a responsibility to change things. And if we don't, we're going to continue to feel the consequences of that more so, uh, as things progress. And so we feel that anxiety and we feel that anticipation of future consequences. And instead of going out and loving each other and doing something about it, we take to Twitter and we become internet trolls. Exactly. Because it's easy. Right. My goodness. I, I love the internet, but then again, it just presents so many different, um, issues. It's just one big conundrum after another. Yeah. It, uh, it's kind of like, um, those online role playing survival games when I feel like, uh, rust, you know, where, uh, oh my. Rust. Yeah, people uh, work together. They can build like a cool village, but instead, you know, ninety uh, percent of the population is running around smashing each other in the face with rocks. <laughs> what would happen if someone from, let's say, Cornell, let's say, brilliant minds from Cornell all gathered together and and went in on, let's say, an observation of of the community of Rust, and they just observed these people playing this this game. What the hell do you think they would make of of society that dwells online? Write a uh, doctoral thesis based on <laughs> from an anthropological perspective. Oh my god! Observing the rest of culture. <laughs> it would be terrible. I mean, I I remember I had talked about playing. I think it was Xbox and um the PS4. I I talked about how certain games had certain demographics of, of players, and certain games brought out you know different races of people and you could always tell because everybody had a microphone yes. and everybody obviously attacks each other and you just hear some of the most racist things ever. Yeah. It's like, Oh my God, you'd be well, surprised. What's funny to me about these racial comments is I've never encountered a negative racial comment. Um, you know, because like, for instance, you can have a positive racist comment, like I'm Hungarian. So someone can say to me, oh yeah, I love your Hungarian paprika. And that's a, an uplifting comment, but you can have a, a negative rate. I've never heard a negative racial comment that was rooted in any type of logic or uh sincerity in an observation of the human experience. They've always been this just reactionary. Well, I'm feeling bad. So F you. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and what a it's silly so thing. To, uh, you know, to point out or to criticize someone on, you know, something that has yeah. absolutely nothing to do with the, uh, the human choice element. You know, it's like, oh, well, you know, you have pale skin. Screw you. Like, what, what does that have to do with anything? It's insane. It's rather unusual, very bizarre times we live in. And speaking of which, it seems like you had a lot to say about, um, the one and only former Seth Rich, who was once alive, no longer with us today. Oh, um, Seth Rich? I'm sorry. I think I missed that. The, you don't remember Seth Rich? The man who's gone? The man who was taken out? Oh, yes. Oh my goodness. I, uh, I totally had a, a mind fart there. This is why I shouldn't rely on Google for long-term, uh, storage. This is just a recent, uh, development. It sure yeah, is. Yeah, I understand that, um, you know, the, uh, the, the DOJ, uh, sealed any investigation and prematurely shut off any investigation into, uh, you know, Seth Rich as a murder. 
Um, and then Kim.com has just been on a rampage with, uh, you know, providing information and evidence towards. It's really interesting. Yeah. It it's is really a, interesting. A I am really curious to see what happens. I am too. It's unfortunate though that we're spending so much time trying to figure out, you know, who hacked the election, you it's, know, on yeah, both yeah, that sides. too. That too. It, it, it is kind of a, a big resource spender. Absolutely. And, and what's been really interesting to me, cause I work in, um, tech is, you know, hearing the media use all these words, you know, like, uh, ransomware and malware and DDoS attacks and IP address fingerprints, like, you know, they're goddamn experts on it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know but, what you mean. And I'm not a, a Putin fan by, uh, you know, any stretch of the imagination, but he was on uh, CNBC recently and, you know, he spoke to the, uh, declassified, um, analysis of the 17, uh, intelligence firms. And, uh, you know, he spoke the obvious, which was everything that's, you know, in this document, all the allegations that are supposedly so watertight, uh, you know, a six year old could do this with the right hacking tools. And somehow we forget that, uh, just a month ago, uh, WikiLeaks released the CIA's hacking software treasure chest that had an entire campus of several thousand people who spent their entire lives building hacking tools for government intelligence that you could uh, reassign the identity of the attacker. And, you know, that's a very easy thing to do. That's pretty much the entire basis of what anonymous anonymity tools like Tor <laughs> are based on. And so it's very elementary stuff and that, it you know, it's being um, there's such a. Uh, yeah, the, the tools that they used have been around for quite some time. However, now it seems like it's much more complex. I remember back. Um, in 1999, early 2000, um, all sorts of different little tools you could use mm -hmm. to bypass someone's computer using Trojan viruses. Keyloggers and, Rats. uh, you know, can you do, wi do you remember the Wi-Fi scanners? Because people would still use WEP over WPA encryption. I, I preferred remote access tool, <laughs> but that's a whole different story. You didn't hear me say that. Well, it was, but it was, it was common and pervasive. Anybody who knew how to work the pirate bay had access to that. And so, you know, I'm not saying for a minute that, um, the, uh, that, that Russia hasn't been uh, influencing us. I mean, just look at, you know, RT. <laughs> you have government sponsored news, uh, targeted for another country's demographic. That's obviously a, uh, a work to influence, you know, another nation's, uh, you know, civilian base, uh, you know, politically. Um, and of course they're hacking us at all times. We're hacking them as well. That's just the nature of that relationship. Um, you know, but it's just, uh, it's silly that, um, it, it, the media is running with this narrative that it's just this, you know, you know, sh closed shut case and, and that's all there is to it. Um, yeah. And I'm no, you know, fan of Trump at all, especially in terms of, you know, how he or any other president or, you know, any you know, executive authority can use this event. Um, just like Theresa May did with the unfortunate, you know, occurrences in Britain to, uh, lock down the internet further. And, you know, all of these, um, you know, uh, situations that are played out in the media are used as examples to, you know, completely, uh, shut down any type of, uh, liberty that exists in the internet and have that be completely controlled by government and, uh, multinational corporations. And see, that's what I worry about. When they really start to put a stranglehold on, on our freedoms, Online. And another thing, here's, here's another thing I always find amusing. Most of the time, 
these people who leak information, they're the ones who are in your camp. They yes. are your own people. And I said this th- uh, about the uh, movie industry when lots of top production companies were having their films leaked. Well, you should probably keep an eye on your employees who are the ones doing the leaking. Well, what's insane is this is just a, uh, inaptitude of, um, of, of, uh, or just an inability on the IT department to lock this down properly. So certain IPs should just not be on networks that have internet connectivity. And all of that uh, yeah. can be logged from an administrative standpoint. That's where, from what I understand, the, um, you know, the Seth Rogen North Korea, uh, film, the interview that <laughs> supposedly was hacked by North Korea, you know, as that whole circus was playing out, there were several, uh, IT firms, you know, independent firms who worked in the, you know, the defense, uh, you know, contracting space who ran their own reports and they confirmed quite conclusively that there's no way North Korea could have performed that hack. And that also it most likely occurred from within side. I mean, almost all these things occur within a physical proximity of whatever the victim is. Like you take Stuxnet, for instance, that had to be planted at an Iranian, uh, you know, nuclear processing facility via USB thumb drive. Yeah, they that was crazy. Have internet, internet activity to compromise that network. So a lot of this just comes back not to the fact that this, the internet is this big scary place that needs to be policed to death, um, like everything else, but actually that all of the uh, activity that we hear about just comes down to plain old espionage. And that's exactly what happened. And I do want to ask you again, going back to, you know, things that you like and dislike in terms of, uh, in the realms of paranormal. So you're all for, let's say, the Loch Ness Monster and Bigfoot. Uh, are there any like cryptids or any conspiracy theories that you're just not for? Um, you know, I have an open mind. So, you know, my big, the, uh, the aspect of life that's most exciting to me is the, the mystery. And, um, the best thing that I know is that I know very little. <laughs> so I am completely open to any and all things being, uh, realities. And I just, uh, seek to have at least a skeptical framework going into it. So that way, if I do, um, you know, experience evidence, on those uh things, then um I know conclusively that it's real, at least from my own existential standpoint. But that being said, um, you know, especially like from a uh you know from from the Christian camp that you know the Genesis six uh you know type of uh narrative, you know, that's more of the Enochian uh viewpoint. Um, you know, and then you also look at the uh you know the, the fossil record, you know, there's been some pretty incredible creatures that you know have existed in this world. And then with the possibilities of genetic and, you know, manipulation, uh, you know, pretty much everything is on the table. So yeah, some weird, I really do love it all. Yeah, there's some weird stuff in the Book of Enoch and, of course, in the Dead Sea Scrolls also. I, the, the, the list continues and even vampires, which first appeared back in, I think it was, uh, the Babylonians also had a story of that through, I think was Lilith, if I recall correctly. And this is, this is something I kind of pride myself in not having any notes. Sometimes I think I should, but lots of times I am someone who does a program without any notes. Well, the stream of consciousness is appreciated, and I think uh, people can tell when something is more scripted or when it's just raw and uncut. I try to be raw. I try to give it to you raw here on the show. 
you you uh, represent the raw absolute. I love that. <laughs> so you know, I I would love to talk to you more, but I see I'm running a little late here. Not that I have to go anywhere, but the fact that I I, I don't want to upload this show and, and have it be too long for those who have ADD. Not unlike myself. Well, Michael, I certainly appreciate the opportunity to uh, chat with you this evening, and thank you as always for keeping the torch lit and all of the uh, wonderful, entertaining content that you provide for us each week. Well, thank you so much, and I will have to bring you back on the air, and uh, we'll run through uh, a bunch of topics next time when we have a little bit more time. I'm certainly looking forward to it. Awesome. Talk to you soon, my friend. Have a good night. Take care. Good night. That was a fun show, right, folks? If you're listening to this on a replay, keep in mind you can listen every Saturday night at 8 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. That's live on the TuneIn Radio app. Just search End of Days. And, of course, if you enjoy this program, go to michaeldeacon.com. This program completely depends on its listeners, and that means you sitting there listening. Share this with your family and friends. You might be surprised. They might end up liking this program. Don't worry, I'll return again soon, folks, with, I believe, Dr. Who. Who is on next week? Good question. Oh, yes, Dr. Richard Allen Miller will be here next week. I'm Michael Deacon. Thank you for listening. And with that said, the world is a mysterious place, and life itself is a mystery. Until next time. Good night, everybody. Sherry. Sweating in the car this morning. I'm not that way. I'm not about to grab this deal. Not about to. Thank you, the Illuminati. Yeah, we're not going to behind them, but the Illuminati certainly is part of the whole thing. The top members of the Illuminati are Oprah Bush. I could tell that all the mainstream media outlets were given me like bullshit. Like, you can just see it. It's clear. <laughs> How appropriate. I wish I could be in that ring with Hogan right now. It's crazy. I had no idea they should have missed it before 726. I'm real. A lot of good content. A lot of, a lot of cool topics. You know, I, yeah, I feel, you know, fortunate to have an opportunity to speak to you guys tonight. You guys are, you guys are really good. Yeah, Mr. Rusev. That son of a bitch. I, I like that, man. It's the simplest shit. You go in there, you see the butt and then you say, what the fuck do you have in your pocket? What the fuck are you going to be smoking time about midnight? That's what I want. Just have to tell you both the most incredibly well-rounded shows. Introducing the greatest tag team on the radio. Guess what, motherfucker? Successfully, at least. Flawless victory.